Section 24 of Baled Hay by Bill Nye. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. They have curbed their woe. They say that Brigham Young's grave is looking as bare and desolate as a boulevard now. At first, while her grief was fresh, his widow used to march out there five abreast and just naturally deluge the grave with scalding tears. And at that time the green grass grew luxuriantly, and the pigweed waved in the soft summer air. But as she learned to control her emotions, the humidity of the atmosphere disappeared and grief's grand irrigation failed to give down. We should learn from this that the man who flatters himself that in marrying a whole precinct during life he is piling up for the future a large invoice of ungovernable woe is liable to get left. The prophet's tomb looks today like a deserted buffalo wallow, while his widow has dried her tears and is trying to make a mash on the Utah Commission such is life in the far west and such the fitting resting-place of a red-headed old galvanized prophet who marries a squint-eyed fly up the creek and afterward gets a special revelation requiring him to marry a female mass meeting let us be thankful for what we have instead of yearning for a great wealth of wife then the life insurance will not have to be scattered so and our friends will be spared the humiliating spectacle of a bereft and sorrowing herd of widow, turned loose by the cold hand of death to monkey over our tomb. Hung by request. This county has had two hemp carnivals during the past few weeks, and it begins to look like old times again. In each case the murder was unprovoked, and the victim a quiet gentleman. That is why there was a popular feeling against the murderer, and a spontaneous rope-stretching benefit as a result. While we deplore the existence of a state of affairs that would warrant these little expressions of feeling, we cannot come right out and condemn the exercises which followed. The more we read the political record of the candidate for office, as set forth in opposing journals, the more we feel that there are already few enough good men in this country, so that we do not care to spare any of them. If, therefore, the mischievous bad man is permitted to thin them out this way, the day is not distant when we won't have good men enough to run the newspapers, to say nothing of other avocations. We know that eastern people will speak of us as a ferocious tribe on the Wyoming reservation, but we desire to call the attention of our more law-abiding brethren to the fact that there has been in the past year a lynching in almost every state in the Union, to say nothing of several hundred cases where there should have been. Do you suppose Wyoming young ladies would consent to play the waltz, known as Under the Elms, composed by Walter Malley, if Walter had been as frolicsome here as he was down on the Atlantic coast? scarcely we may be the creatures of impulse here but not that kind of impulse minneapolis hung a man during the past year and so did bloomington and other high-toned towns and shall we because we are poor and lonely be denied this poor boon we hope not because we have left the east and moved out here to make some money and build up a new country 
shall we be refused the privileges we would have enjoyed if we had remained in the States? We trow not. A telegraph pole with the remains hanging on it is not a cheerful sight, but it has a tendency to annoy and mentally disturb those who contemplate the violent death of some good man. It unnerves the brave assassin and makes him restless and apprehensive. Death is always depressing, but it is doubly so when it has that purple and suffocated appearance which is noticeable in the features of the early fall fruit of the telegraph pole. Lately, we will state, however, the telegraph pole has fallen into disfavor and is not much used, owing to a rumor which gained circulation some time ago to the effect that J. Gould intended to charge the Vigilance Committee rent. A Colored Greek Slave A nude colored woman, as wild as a gorilla, is startling the people of the Marvel section of Missouri. She has been seen several times, and the last time through a young lady who was horseback riding into hysteria, and with a grunt, not unlike that of a wild hog, jumped up and ran into the forest. At the time of her discovery, she was burrowing into the side of the road, catching and eating crawfish, which she ate claws, hide, and all. She is very black and foams at the mouth when angry, like a wild animal at bay. She is probably a colored Greek slave in search of an umbrella and the remainder of her wardrobe. Still, she may be a brunette society belle who went in swimming where a mud turtle caught her by the pink toe, and the nervous shock has unsettled her mind. THE MELVILLES An exchange says that Mrs. Melville has become deranged through excess of joy over the unexpected return of her husband. Another one says that it is thought that Lieutenant Melville is off his basement as a result of exposure to the vigorous and bracing air of the North Pole. Still another says that Mr. Melville was always mean and hateful toward his wife, and that when he was at home she had to do her own washing and wind the clock herself. From the different stories now floating about relative to the Melville family, we are led to believe that he is a kind and considerate husband, pleasant and good-natured toward his wife, while asleep, and that she is a kind, beautiful, and accomplished wife when she is sober. How many of our best wives are falling victims to the alcoholic habit recently? How sad to think that, as husbands, we will soon be left to wait and watch and vigil through the long, weary night for that one to return who promised us on the nuptial day that she would protect and love us. Ah, what a silent but seductive foe to the husband is rum! How it creeps into the home circle and snatches the wife in the full blush and bloom of womanhood, while the pale, sad-eyed husband sits at the sewing machine and barely makes enough to keep the little ones from want. No one can fully realize, but he who has been there, so to speak, the terrible shock that Mr. Melville received on the first evening that his wife came staggering home. No one can tell how the pain froze his throbbing gizzard, or how he shuddered in the darkness and filled the pillow-sham full of sobs when he first knew that she had got it up her nose. 
Ah, what a picture of woe we see before us. There in the solemn night, robed in long, plainly constructed garment of pure white, buttoned at the throat in a negligent manner, stands Mr. Melville with his bare, tall brow glistening in the flickering rays of a kerosene lamp, which he holds in his hand, while on the front porch stands the wife who, a few years ago, promised to defend and protect him. She is a little unsteady on her feet, and her hat is out of plumb. She tries to be facetious, and asks him if that is where Mr. Melville lives. He looks at her coldly and says it is, but unfortunately it is not an inebriate's home and refuge for the budge demolisher. Then he bursts into tears, and his sobs shake the entire ranch. But we draw a curtain over the scene. A year later he may be discovered about two miles southwest of the North Pole. Cool, but happy. He is trying to forget his woe. He smells like sperm oil and looks like a bald-headed sausage. But the woe of drink is forgotten. How sad that he has returned and suffered again. What a mistake that he did not remain where, instead of his wife's coolness, he would have had only that of nature's to contend against. Mending Broken Necks They have successfully set a boy's broken neck in Connecticut, and now it looks as though the only way to kill a man is to take him about two hundred miles from any physician and run him through a hoe-perfecting press. If this thing continues, they will some day put some electricity into Pharaoh's daughter and engage her as a ballet dancer, along with other tender pullets of her own age. Are you a Mormon? We are indebted to Elder Wilkins of Logan, Utah, First Assistant General Tooley Muckahai, ZCMI, and ZW of TUOM and B Company, and President of the Cash Stake of Zion, constituting last in the Quorum of Seventies, for the late edition of the Mormon Guide and Handbook of the Endowment House. It is a very pleasant work to read. It makes the whole endowment scheme as clear to the average mind as though he had been through it personally. Pictures of the endowment Kemaloon and ZCMI bib are given to show the novice exactly how they appear to the unclothed and unregenerate vision. The convert, it seems, first goes to the desk on entering and registers. Then she leaves her everyday clothes in the baggage room and gets a check for them. The next thing on the program is a bath, called the farewell bath, because it is the last one taken by the endowment victim. The convert is then anointed with machine oil from a cow's horn, after which she is named something, supposed to be the celestial cognomen. Then comes the endowment robe, which is a combination arrangement that don't look pretty. After that, the apprentice to polygamy goes into an impromptu garden of Eden, where the apple business is gone through with. A thick-necked pathmaster from Logan takes the character of Adam, and a pale-haired livery stable-keeper from Salt Lake acts as the ruler of the universe. This is not making light of a sacred subject. It is just the simple, plain, horrible truth. 
The creation of the world is thus gone through by these blatant priests of latter-day bogus sanctity, and the exercises are continued after this fashion through all their disgusting details. We have no time or inclination to enlarge upon them. Truth is sometimes nauseating, especially while discussing the Mormon problem. If Brigham Young had lived, he would have helped out his church by a revelation that would have knocked the daylights out of polygamy. But as it is now, John Taylor, with his characteristic stubbornness, will not attend to it, his revelation machine being somewhat out of whack, as Oscar Wilde would say, so that the anointing with the so-called sanctified lubricant will continue till the United States sits down on the whole grand farce. End of section 24